If God be for us, who can be against us? Exalt his holy name. What God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. Let us live in Christ to reign. Praise him, ye his angels. Oh, praise the Lord of hosts, Yahweh. Praise him, ye his angels. Oh, praise the King of kings. When Israel came to Jordan, they doubted they possess it. But God said, yes, you can. Joshua and Caleb made a proclamation. We're going to possess this land. Praise him, ye his angels. Oh, praise the Lord of hosts, Yahweh. Praise him, ye his angels. Praise the King of kings. Have you seen this man, Goliath, who challenges God's people? He's a giant in the land. David said, our God is well able to deliver by the stone in the shepherd's hand. Praise him, ye his angels. Oh, praise the Lord of hosts, Yahweh. Praise him, ye his angels. Oh, praise the King of kings. The precious ones of Zion are and cast in the lion's den. Leads captivity captive and will lead us to Zion again. The precious sons of Zion are esteemed as earthen pitchers and cast in the lion's den. But Daniel knows our God leads captivity captive and will lead us to Zion again. Praise him, ye his angels. Oh, praise the Lord of hosts, Yahweh. Praise him, ye his angels. Oh, praise the King of kings. The Son of God is coming to his kingdom and calls Lazarus from the dead. The bride of Christ awaits the jubilation of the day when she is wed. Praise him, ye his angels. Oh, praise the Lord of hosts, Yahweh. Praise him, ye his angels. Oh, praise the King of kings. Praise him, ye his angels. Oh, praise the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, praise him, ye his angels, oh, praise the King of kings. Huh? What is it? Are we on? God is so wonderful. 
It makes you love everybody. The Word of God is think about what's uh, coming on here, and uh, we're going to take uh, just a little teeny break here while I adjust my microphone, but uh, if you have any problem hearing me, well, then uh, you know that the mic was disconnected. It sounds like it's starting to come together here. So God bless you all, and uh, God will uh, give you an ear to hear. I'm here to hear what the message is here today, because it is it's going to be an eye-opener. <clears throat> All right. Now, um, here's uh, what we talked about on our announcement. We talked about a title of other tongues and other bodies, not of this world. And... Uh, there is scripture for that, and we're going to take the time to, uh, to read that scripture. So if you would turn to, with me to 1 Corinthians 14.21, 1 Corinthians 14.21, and uh, let's just read it. <clears throat> In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak unto this people, and yet for all that... Will they not hear me, saith the Lord? Now, we have to always understand that in the Word of God, sometimes you will have an oracle of one verse within a selection of several verses that seems to have a continuity about a specific subject. But yet within that whole roll of scriptures, there is one particular verse that has a special hidden meaning. Now, this can be verified by so many different ways. Just take the scriptures that Jesus quoted. 
Take the scriptures that Paul quoted. Take the scriptures that some of the disciples uh, quoted. And you see that they just bring those suddenly right out of a whole essay that seems to possibly be on a different subject, out of Isaiah, out of Psalms. Uh, but there is a particular message in a particular set of scriptures that goes on caring about other points of, uh, of information. Now, that is partly because there is a 30, 60, and 100-fold degrees that are fulfillment of what the Scripture is speaking. Sometimes when you're reading, you're reading the 30 degrees. Sometimes when you're reading, you're reading the 60 degrees. Other times you're reading the 100-fold. Sometimes within the concord of a set of scriptures. There are bits and pieces of 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, which when you read the whole set collectively, it can have a dominance of the 60-fold, or a dominance of the 30-fold, or a dominance of the 100-fold, or it can have, though it has a dominance of the 60-fold, still various places that the 90-fold or the 30-fold speak and have a place of reference. Now, once in a while, not too often, but once in a while someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, but thinks that they know what they're talking about, would like to make a statement and say that sometimes when I present these revelations, <clears throat> that I take the scripture out of context. Only a person not trained and of, of not an extensive knowledge would ever make that statement because they are just revealing their ignorance of what, a, what contextuality is. So let's just look at this for a moment. Con context. You have the context of a verse, so that everything that is said in that verse has a manifold of one meaning. Although, just by the meaning of the word manifold, it can mean it has a manifold of diversity. But a manifold means different ways by adjectives and verbs within the same scripture or verse of saying many different um, statements as regarding that one point. So you have the, the, the contextuality of a, of, of a verse. Then as the scripture goes on, one following the other in a chapter, you have the context of a chapter. Then you have the possibility that the chapter is in sequence with one or two or three or four other chapters in the book so that it is in contextuality with the book as well as being in contextuality with the verse or as well as being a special oracle that is not the dominant 
scripture of the setting, but is a special point that maybe the, of hundredfold within the dominance of the of the sixtyfold. Then you have the the contextuality of the Old Testament, and you have the contextuality of the New Testament. Then you have the contextuality of the Bible as a whole. Now that still does not bear upon the Spirit, in which the Bible says, I will send you the Holy Spirit and it will lead and it will guide you into all truth. So you have the contextuality that veers into what the Spirit is revealing. And so without that contextuality of what the Spirit is, is revealing, then you are in that shipwreck that some religious groups are in, in which they say there are no more prophecies, there are only the prophecies that are in the Bible. Of course, they keep discovering that there's a lot of other books that are lost, and they keep discovering you know, new versions by discovering ancient finds, and then they begin to question some of the books that were denounced as being a part of the Bible, and there's some people that are saying, you know, those are going to have to be brought back in. Well, when you build upon a pile of mistakes and about on a, upon a pile of disinformation, you are going to have loose ends. And you are going to have places where periods have been put in that are not absolutes. And so when you begin to realize that when you are quickened by the Spirit, then prophecy is going to be something that is going to be about a continuation of time. And so God wanted there to always be that continuation of time in the contextuality of what was quickened by the Spirit. Because what is quickened by the Spirit goes forward. But it's not limited to go forward. It can be at present or it can go back into, in, into history. And so uh, it actually becomes an exhortation as well as the potentiality of it being a prophecy. Once you begin to understand all these things, it's very important. And the people that don't want to uh, believe in the continuous word, and they want to stop it at the last period in the book of Revelations are just people that are bound in the slumber of erroneousy. And God is going to deliver them one day because they are erring in doctrine. But these are the very people that will, will turn on you and judge you based on the non-profound ignorance that they are proclaiming to be fact. So when the Holy Spirit comes into a picture, then it unravels parables. And of course, that was the prophecy of the Old Testament, that when the Messiah came, he would begin to unfold mysteries and things that had not been known, so that there were in the Old Testament secrets and mysteries spoken, and spoken in such a way of speaking, and such a language of speaking, and such a style of information, that it became part of what we call an invisible Bible. So that only, the Bible says, when the priest stands up with the Urim and the Thummim, 
will they be able to really say who is truly a spiritual Jew or not? And so that's what's happening by the Holy Spirit quickening. When God raises up a priest <clears throat> without father or mother, <clears throat> without brother or sister, without lines of descent, then we have a whole new revelation. Praise be the name of God. <clears throat> That's my introduction. That's to help you sort of catch on to the style that I, I use. So I hope you caught that. If you didn't, well, you just need to play this back time and time again. <clears throat> so what do we have here? Chapter 14, verse 15 says, what is it then? And I could ask you people out there in, in broadcast land. <coughs> Excuse me. What is it then? <coughs> Getting choked up here. <coughs> Sorry. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding. And that's what I want to make a point. What is it then? Well, there are times that you pray with the understanding, which can come on various levels. A 30-fold understanding, a 60-fold understanding, and a 100-fold understanding. <clears throat> well, then you go to the next solution. I'll also pray in the Spirit. And if I want to do some singing, I'll, I'll sing with the understanding, but I'll also sing with the Spirit. And because there's an also in there, <coughs> then there is a clarity that there is a differentiation from the one part that is the understanding and from the other part that is of the Spirit. This does not mean that they are in collision. But what it means is that the factoring of understanding of those is differentiated because one leads and leans to the spirit, the spiritual, and the other le leads and leans to that which has to do with the physical and with the natural aspect of things. Okay. <coughs> Here we go. Let's go back to verse 21 of chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. In the law is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people. Let's go to chapter 14, verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Now you've got a whole bunch of people out there that are trying to interpret the unknown tongue not by translation, not by the Spirit, but through the, the idea of criticism. And Paul saw that fallacy right away one time when he went to this special event, and he saw where there was a bunch of people putting up plaques, and they were worshiping the unknown God just because they want to make sure they didn't miss one of the gods. And he says, you do ignorantly worship him. 
So we have a whole world of people out there that are ignorantly believing, ignorantly worshiping, ignorantly attending their sessions of religiosity, and ignorantly leaning on the pulpiteers who are ignorantly giving misinformation. This is not meant to be a knockdown, but sometimes you do have to have a knockdown, and not only a knockdown, but a drag out. Because you can't just leave the same spurious voice standing behind a pulpit and yammering what he thinks is the truth and knocking down everybody else that doesn't agree with him 100%. Sometimes you have to just have a knockdown and drag out of that stupidity. I'm not proclaiming that's what this is this, this morning. But I'm telling you that... Um, when you get on the track and the train is rolling, you don't want to get in front of it. Because trains aren't like st standing in front of a train is not like standing in front of an automobile. Because once a train really gets rolling, it's sort of like Ezekiel chapter 1. It's like the coming of an incredible whirlwind. And there isn't anything human that can stop it. So the best thing is to understand there's only two ways that you can treat the coming of, a, of, a, of that kind of a velocity. Number one, if you try to treat it by standing in front of it and blocking it and challenging it, criticizing it, you're going to get mowed down. There's only one way that you can get into meeting that powerful, and I will also call it majestic, whirlwind that Ezekiel was describing. Ezekiel chapter 1. You've got to get caught up in it. And when you get caught up in it, you become part of the whirlwind. And the whirlwind becomes part of you. And we're going to be talking about this thing, about things that are of one nature becoming part of something else that is of another nature. And how that there is this fusion that happens that's totally a divine ordination. And in the sequential aspects of these multiple manifold operations of infusing and becoming part of these manifold differentiations, there is synchronized in the scriptures of the invisible Bible What some people would call outrageous, but other people would just bow down on their knees, raise their hands to God, and shout, Hallelujah, the Lord is present. There's a song that talks about that, and it says, this is holy ground. I'm standing on holy ground. And sometimes that's what happens in the scripture. You get into these divine sequences. You get into these special intervals into which you come between that which was understood in one way and between that which was secret and not known in another way. 
And what it's called in the spiritual world is breaking out. Breaking out from the bondage. Getting out of Egypt where you were nothing but a slave. Getting out of Egypt where your life depended sometimes on how much straw that had pretty much inner value to most things. But that became a, a message of life or death as to the amount that you collected or didn't collect. There's a point at which you say, look, if I'm going to have limits, I don't want those limits to be on something that's inert, like straw. I want those limits to be on something that is beyond the beyond, that is so high that it's not even called sky anymore, that is so glorious that the only way you can describe it is that one glory differs from another glory. And these elements of glory have no recognition of anything that is earthly. And you're willing to understand that on some of those stair steps that the angels go up and down on among the divinities, you are willing to understand you have to have subjection to some limits because your human body is too frail to take on all of the green light lanes at one time. So, now then, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, verse 21. It is written, there are men of other tongues and other lips, and I will speak unto this people. Now, People have a strong idea about taking certain words and making revelations out of them. For instance, uh, I, want to, I want to reveal to you uh, a very interesting scripture about this thing about the word man. Let's look at Daniel 8, 15 through 16. Daniel 8, 15 through 16. And... Let's, let's get this thing straight about what, it, what man may sometimes mean. And I don't think I just quoted the right scripture. So let me take a look at that again. I can find it without having that. Yeah, I'm sorry, Daniel 8. That's it. Daniel 8, 15 uh, through 16. Okay, so here, here's what we're going to read. And it came to pass, when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for meaning, then behold, there stood, for, stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of, the, uh, of, of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Now, as far as I can see, what the vision was, it seemed to be simple enough, was just the vision of a man, of a human. And he was standing by the banks of this river. You wouldn't think that you would need to have a big understanding about that. You should just be able to say, hey, well, 
that's no big deal. Um, it's just a man. That's a human. And then you could go into a description of what a human is, if you want. But it's a man. Man can stand for mankind or it can stand for a male. Shouldn't be too complicated. But he is told, Daniel is told, that, that Gabriel is given the message, make this man to understand the vision. Well, it's very important vision because through various scriptures in Daniel, it mentions the man Gabriel. So now you're going to have some people come along and they're going to say, now this, when you say Gabriel was an archangel, that is 100% wrong. Because the Bible says that Gabriel was a man. So if Gabriel was a man, then he's not an archangel, so therefore your teaching cannot be correct. No, you've got it wrong. And you need Gabriel, or perhaps Jerry Lee, to help you to understand what the vision really is. So I'm going to do it. I've got the job. Because the person that's wrong is not me, it's you. If you're making those kind of claims. And here's what the scripture said. Behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. This means there was an entity, and this entity took on the appearance of a man, but wasn't really a man. This per person was really an angel, but he took on the appearance of a man so that when people were looking at him, they thought he was a human being. So they were not afraid because we find throughout the scriptures when people saw angels, they were just so afraid. And they even had the idea that if you ever see an angel, then you will die. Well, they sort of had the right point about the differentiation from something that's divine and something that is not divine, which was the not divine was them, and, you know, the limits of what a person can be exposed to as to divine things. But the real, the real thing that had to be open here is that there's just the appearance of a man. And that's why the Bible says that many times people entertain angels unaware. And that's really, really important to get into your mind. That's in Hebrews 13 too. Entertaining angels unaware. Why would you be unaware? You'd be unaware if someone appeared as a human, but they really weren't a human. They were angels. And you thought they were human because they looked like a human. They had a human-looking face, human-looking nose, ears, eyes, had clothes on like a human, had hands, arms, legs, feet like a human. And when you looked at them, you said, this is a human, this is a man. But you were unaware of the fact that this just wasn't a man. This was an angel in the appearance of a man. Now, when God appeared to Manoah, the father of Samson, and Manoah's wife appeared in, as an angel, he did not take an angel form. 
he took a human form. And this human could sit and talk with them, share food with them, eat like a human. He had the appearance of a man. And they thought he was a man, a far, a far traveling stranger that happened to come in and was giving them some unusual information. They thought he was a man. Because he looked like a man. He had the appearance of a man. Only did they know he was not a man when they made an offering and the fire was coming up on the altar. And this man that they thought was a man walked over toward it and then suddenly walked right into the flame and disappeared and went up with the flame up into the heavens. He was sort of like beam me up Scotty type of thing that was happening. He was being beamed up to a spiritual spacecraft. And when that happened, and that's in the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen, Judges 13, 18 through 20, the angel of the Lord ascended up in the flame. Then the Bible says they knew this was not a man. This was an angel. So it's so important then to understand Mark 16, 12, and when it says that Jesus appears in, in other forms. It's so important to understand Matthew 17, 2 and Mark 9, 2, when it talks about transfiguration, in which when Jesus was transfigured, transfiguring, he took on the form of Elijah and he took on the, on the form of, of Enoch. So I said Enoch, I mean Moses. There is a case of him taking on the form of Enoch, but that's not the one. And don't ask me where that's at because that's take a lot of teaching. But this transfiguration, this photo translation that Jesus was into in this transfiguration is very, very important because it's going to be part of this incredible revelation we're going to get into today. Now, we know that this thing with transformation is not just something that is done on the spiritual side with the holy angels, but it's also done on the uh, Lucifer satanic side so that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan transforms into an angel of light. So this thing of transforming is not simple Simon. We also know in Hebrews eleven five, it says that Enoch was translated. That's a little slightly different way of saying transfigurated uh, or photo translation uh, because it, it really ties into ultimately to the same thing. And that's Hebrews 11.5 when Enoch is translated. Now, I could make the point there if I had the time of the connection to Jesus and the transfiguration, but that's too long of a journey to take. We know that in Joel, it talks about the appearance of horses. And then it straightens it out by saying, well, actually, the appearance of horsemen, so shall they run. And we remember in the story of Elijah that when Elijah was caught up in the whirlwind, then they saw the, 
the horses and the horsemen thereof. So you begin to understand that the horse and the horsemen are actually one and the same. But there's a manifold reason that that is brought out. Because horses always represent like horsepower and not limited to what horsepower is, but to, gi but to uh, giving the idea of what the, the power of, of engine is for a craft. That's why in the Holy Manifest language, the angels that are the, the shipmasters, they're called engines instead of pilots. But for the sake of people, we oftentimes just say pilot. But actually, they're called engines. And in a sense, they're not only engines, but they're also engineers. They're not only horses, but they're horsemen. They're not only engines, but they're engineers. They're not only horses, but they're horsemen. And this is understanding that they take on the appearance of something that they are not. In order to leave a message to people that understand things in a very uh, ancient or a very limited language that is not advanced. So many times when messages are left, they're left in a very, you know, um, unlearned language that is meant to be kept simple for them to have something of relevancy that is how they are used to looking at things and seeing things and knowing things. So now we've got some very interesting, important things. We have to understand this cooperation that happens, that we are part spirit and we are part human, and that even the animals have spirits, but the difference between the difference between their spirit and human spirit, especially the humans that are fallen angels in human bodies, is that the Bible says the spirit of the beast goes downward, which means that they're temporal. The spirit of, of the man goes upward, which means they have an eternal connection. And so in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13.1, when it says, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels but have not charity, makes it clear that devils can speak with tongues of angels. But if they don't have the love of God, then that's how you'll know them, because the Bible says you'll know people by the, by the fruits. And that'll tell if they're a spirit of God or they're a spirit of, of uh, uh, demons. And so this thing of angel and and, and man, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, is very, very important to understand. And Jesus tried to understand this differentiation that just plain human beings had. And that's why in John 10, 34, Jesus answered them and said, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. Now, in the law, it's written with men of other tongues and other lips. I'm going to just take a few more minutes and then I'm going to take a break with men of, uh, of other, other tongues and other lips. I will speak unto this people. Now, when people look at this thing about lips, they have no idea of the meaning of that. 
But if you get into the Greek-Hebrew definitions, for instance, Strong's 8193, Safa, and you look at that, the meanings of that are a vessel, water, cloth, band, bank, binding, border, brim, brink, edge, language, shore, side, speech, talk, words. But it's really driven with this thing, lip, as a body part, a body. So when we say lip, it can also mean a body. So in our title, Other Tongues and Other Bodies, we take the word lip and translate that to be in body because that is how it does and can translate. So we say other tongues and other bodies because that is fulfilled in the meaning both in the Hebrew and the Greek as having that meaning. So even like when you're looking at a river and you talk about the bank of a river or the edge of the river, that is spoken of as a lip. So there are so many different meanings of things like the word lip. Now we're going to take a break, and we're going to have a special here of one of my songs sung by Jerry Hoosier, who has been in this ministry for many, many years and has an absolutely beautiful voice. Janet Lee at the organ. Trust in God 
just awesome. Thank you, Janet Lee. That was Janet Lee singing one of my songs, River Above Me. Prior to that, we had a solo from Jerry Hoosier, another one of my songs. And then the first song that was sung uh, was not a song I wrote, but a song that Stara Phillips wrote, uh, uh, our daughter. And uh, she did a beautiful job. She's a beautiful voice. And, uh, sh and she also sung that song. And we're going to get more and more into our own songs uh, because uh, every, almost every song that you use, 
nowadays. Uh, I don't care how old it is. Songs like Amazing Grace and, you know, even the old rugged cross. People are um, big companies and some people are going out and they're uh, putting new uh, copyrights on them. And then they're wanting, you know, to be paid or you to do advertisement for them if they allow you to play their songs. So uh, I've written over 100 songs. We're going to start, uh, you know, using some of my songs and, and some of the songs of, of, our, of our people. Blessed be the name of God. And um, that is where we're at. And let's get back on to the message. Okay. So um, here we are. Uh, on this message. Um, I've talked about some of these things before, but I haven't gotten into the fullest explanation of them. But let's just take a look at Psalms 18, verse 16. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. Now we know, according to Revelations 17, 15, that waters can represent people, nations, tongues, kingdoms. <coughs> and um, we know that um, when it says, he sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. That is a very deep and beautiful scripture. Now when you read before that, and you read in verse 13, the Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Not Always does that coal of fire or a hailstone mean actual hailstone or coal, or, or coal of fire. They can symbolically mean other things. We won't bother with that right now, but we will look at verse 10. We're in Psalms 18. Um, let's start with verse 9. He bowed the heavens. He came down and darkness was under his feet. This for sure is an explanation of of dark matter. But then it changes into dark energy as we keep reading. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. He rode upon a cherub and did fly. Cherub is an abbreviation of cherubim. So it means that the cherubim that he rode upon, the cherubim, the mind of the cherubim, was what was the engine, was what was engining this spacecraft. And then he did fly and we get into this next part upon the wings of a wind. We, now, now we get this idea, the wings of the wind, the bird personification of nature. So we have um, an influx and a combination of two things. We have the cherub, the cherubim, mind, and we have the wings, the, the bird representing something physical, like when the Holy Spirit came down over Jesus in the form of a dove, in the appearance of a dove. It didn't mean that the Holy Spirit was a dove, but it took on the appearance of it. It was like a personification, not of a person in this case, but of an entity, which was a bird, which was a dove. And we begin to look at that and we begin to see, this is interesting how, how God is doing things, especially with the, with the sacred Holy Spirit. And we have this infusion 
of the cherub and this infusion of the birds, which represent like the voice of an angel and the voice of a man. Or the voice of an angel and the voice of something of nature. Now, there's something so deep and so awesome here. Let's go to verse 11. He made darkness his secret place. We're into dark energy here. His pavilion around about him were dark waters and thick clouds. Now, it's very interesting that this scripture was also written in 2 Samuel 22.12. And in 2 Samuel 22.12, there is a difference in the word pavilion. Because in Samuel's rendition of it, it's plural. It's pavilions. It's S on it. Whereas in this Psalms edition, it's singular. It's only pavilion. And that is because both cases are true. There is, number one, in the reference to the pronoun, his, we have the revelation of the godly factor being exonerated. Then in the, the plurality, we have the godly factor being exonerated as it is in many, many gods, many sons and daughters of God. Very, 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 very important. So that we understand when we start talking about ziths and zoots. That we're not just talking about just one and that's it. But there is one particular zith that is called a throne. A, a, the throne of thrones. There are other thrones, but it's the throne of thrones. And it is described as a, a stone. You know, like um, it's described in Exodus in uh, 24.10, a paved work of sapphire stone. As you begin to get into the, the scriptures and the other meanings of this, it's very, very interesting what begins to come around. Like, for instance, if we look at, um, at Psalms 27.5, Psalms 27.5 gives us a little different in, in look. Uh, let's just look at it. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Now, sometimes things are doubled. And whenever something is doubled, it's because it's, it's, it's wanted to be known that there is a special importance of understanding it. Because the very word pavilion also means tabernacle. So here we have, if we, if we read it that way, and, and it would read, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his tabernacle. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. And he shall set me up upon a rock. Now, that makes sense. 
in the, he shall hide me in his pavilion, his tabernacle. And then it says, yeah, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. But instead of saying in the secret of his pavilion he shall hide me, it is already translated to tabernacle. So pavilion means tabernacle, tabernacle means pavilion. Now, tabernacle isn't just exactly what a lot of people think it is. Because tabernacle, described in Ezekiel, is Merkabah. Merkabah is this flying craft, and it's called a throne. Because in the pilot hold, or the engine hold, being not an engine like a, a machine, <coughs> but being an engine like an entity whose mind is what makes the, the vehicle go. And then we have um, Psalms 31. And let's look at Psalms 31.20. And Psalms 31.20 says, Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pri pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Tongues comes back in this. There are tongues here, but no strife of tongues. So as we begin to get into these understandings and of this title of what it talks about other tongues and other bodies not of this world, we get into some really, really beautiful stuff. And we see that the scriptures actually mention this very thing. When you translate the word lip into body, you get the full meaning of 1 Corinthians 14.22 and how important that that is. And Isaiah 28.11-12. Now, we want you to, to really get this. I will not have the time to get into the detail of how to bring out this come and go or to and fro. But there is within the language scenarios uh, an interlinking of an interesting term called to and fro. And it's the resolve or the interpretation of a particular word that is tied into this whole thing about the, the zith and the ship and all these various terms. And um, it's interesting when it says to and fro that people don't understand that that is a space language. And so we go, we go to um, Isaiah 33 and 4, and it talks about the running to and fro of the locusts. Now, we know the locusts in the book of Revelation represents, in the chapter 9 of Revelation, these creative uh, uh, inventions of uh, zams and zits that Lucifer made during this time of being put in this interval of space. And they were called locusts because it was like they are living things, but somehow they are intermingled with natural things like special kinds of, of substance and metals and so forth. And we find that to and fro there. We find that in, in Job 1.7 and uh, Job 2.2 2, where Satan appears before the children of Job, 
And God speaks to him, says, what are you doing here? He says, oh, I'm coming to check things out. I'm paraphrasing. He says, well, what's going on? What have you been doing? Well, he says, I've been going to and fro, you know, to the earth and back from back again. I've been coming and going. And uh, we see that as we begin to understand that to and fro, that that is a language that has to do with with craft, with 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 being able to fly faster than the speed of light, and instantly be able to go here, to be able to go there. And on the on the spiritual side, in Zechariah fourteen ten, it talks about the eyes of the Lord run to and fro of the whole earth. So we see that to and fro is also on the spiritual side. And that ties in with, you know, Psalms 104.30, you send forth your spirit, they are created, you renew the face of the earth. That ties in to many other scriptures, like the 2 Samuel 22.12 and Psalms 18.9. He rode upon a cherub and did fly. He did fly upon the wings of the wind. And also to the revelation there, about the pavilion and this idea of the lip meaning body but it also incorporates like the edge of something which ties into our teachings then of the fringe and how that the fringe is tied in to the revelation that is given a pattern of understanding back in the Old Testament and it's just, it's just utterly incredible when you start breaking down these scriptures, how they just absolutely tie together in the most beautiful way. So as we begin to get into this thing of the pavilion, we see it as actually being a spacecraft. But it's just not a, a, any old kind of spacecraft. It's not a spacecraft like made on the planet Earth. Because... It's a living spacecraft. It has infused into it living mind matter. Not brain matter, but mind matter. A spirit thing. And in addition, it is intermingled then with physical things like the wings of the wind, the, the representing the bird, the, the dove, <coughs> the personification. <clears throat> Praise the name of God. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> I don't know why I decided to get hoarse today. I haven't done anything differently, but it's life and you got to live it. Life on the planet. So, we begin to understand better than John 1.14. And the Word was made flesh. Now, we just have Word. Like I'm talking to you in words. We have the locust word, a special personification, a special representation of the word, meaning the Christ word. But we understand that that Christ word can not only be something that comes forth from Jesus Christ, but that we are to go into all of the universe and to speak his word, and that his word lives in us. And we live in him, and he lives in us. 
so that this word then is made flesh, not only as Jesus experienced it in his fleshly body, but as we are experiencing it in the physical. And this eyes of the Lord, which this comes up in this revelation of these spacecraft and of the 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 four beings of Ezekiel chapter one, chapter ten. We'll get be into that in a little bit. Now, as we get into the revelation of this tabernacle and tent that the pavilion is, you can look up some interesting things of the for the word pavilion. Hebrew fifty five twenty through twenty one. Strong's Concordance Dictionary. Hebrew 82.36, Strong's provision in, his, in the Hebrew Dictionary. <coughs> Jeremiah 43.10, pavilion, but royal pavilion. So we can see that although in this case of Jeremiah where Nebuchadnezzar is called the servant of God and God is using him to bring about something of his own will, that the term royal is used. And we know that even when we start talking about measurements, that there is a differentiation of just a regular measurement and a royal measurement. So this is profound throughout the Bible, something that is royal, something that is not. So. When we are talking about the zits and the zams, that's of one nature. When we are talking about the ziths, Z-Z-I-T-H-S instead of Z-I-T, and the zoots, Z-U-U-T-S, we are talking about the royal pavilions. These are royal pavilion, pavilions. They are called the Merkabah which means they are on the God side. <clears throat> and so then, it is so interesting that Jeremiah 43.10 talks about the royal pavilion. That needs, has, has to be interpreted, but I haven't got the time to do that today. But you're beginning to just see some absolutely awesome, wonderful things here that you need to understand, you need to know, so that you are really ready to get into this truth. So when Jesus said, I am the resurrection, last week I showed you in Hebrews eleven thirty-five, there is a better resurrection. I am the resurrection. That was John eleven twenty-five. And we showed you how that the Bible says that the Father taught Jesus the resurrection, John five, twenty through twenty-three. And then we showed that by the scripture that there was this, that this resurrection that Jesus was particularly speaking of when he said, I am the resurrection, is these particular people that the Father was teaching him to bring back and how that they would be brought back. David, Jeremiah 39, Ezekiel 37, 24, Enoch, Moses, Elijah, Jacob. I read you some of the scripture. And we begin to see how that this dove ministry, which in Matthew 3.16 represented the Holy Spirit, 
and that it was a heavenly symbol, that that symbol wasn't limited just to that one little event that happened there at the river of Jordan when John was baptizing Jesus. But it was connected to a spirit of truth, John 16, 7 through 13. And so the vastness of this is almost beyond description. It's beyond the beyond. We talked about in Psalms 110, 1 through 6, the Lord said, to my Lord, set upon my right hand. We see the Father talking to the, the Lord Jesus. And then we see David listening and saying, this is what happened. God spoke to my God. The Lord spoke to my Lord. And he's recording that. And we showed how that when it said to which of the angels said he at any time, said on my right hand, that some people think that that then means that there was no one else that that was ever made available for. But that's because they did not understand how that Jesus says, with my dead body, the dead will arise. That was in Isaiah. And how that this has to do with trans assimilation. And so that these people that are going to have this special re resurrection are going to be coming in his name. So he is the resurrection. It's all going to be happening through him on this special resurrection. We're not talking about the resurrection of the total of all dead, the good, the bad, the evil, all of that. So this then shows us how that in Hebrews 2, 9 through 11, that David symbolically represents the, sh the throneship of Jesus Christ. And this is a trans-assimilation teaching. In that particular time I was sharing with you last night. And then, as I said just a little bit ago, thy dead men shall live together with my dead body shall they arise, Isaiah 26, 19. So, Isaiah made a prophecy in Isaiah 45 through 6. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall, shall see it. There is something that has never been proposed. There is something that has never been seen. It's been part of the invisible Bible. And we, we give you these scriptures. You can look them over again. Isaiah 44, 5 through 7. Isaiah 49, 5. How that God was forming again and bringing Joseph again, uh, Jacob again. How these things are all part of this ultimate revelation. And that when we start looking about association and family-ship, Matthew 12, 46-47, Jesus said, Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? He stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. Whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother, my sister, and my mother. John 19, 25-27, The mother, thy son, Jesus pointed to his mother and to John. And then he pointed to John, or he looked at them, did it with his eyes. And he said, Disciple, thy mother. So we see how biblical all of this is, how important all this is. When Jesus said in John 10.34, I've said, you know, it's written in the law, you are God's. 
Well, remember, we're also talking in 1 Corinthians 14, 21, where in the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak unto this people, which we're using as the title with men of other tongues and other bodies. I will speak to this people with men who are not of this world. So we're going to get into understanding those things as we really open this up. Now, just as a point of interest about this thing with birds and we make it a connection with the Ziths and, and these what people are calling UFOs and flying saucers. In World War II, the airplanes, when they went out to war, they took on the V formation of the birds. That's how they flew in World War II. And the World War II aircraft, they used components that were named after birds. That these birds were com in combat warfare. They were airplanes, but they were given bird names. They were called birds of prey, wings of prey, birds of war, aerial, birds, eye view. And um, there was the a special sea verb, a bird that was a hunter-killer that can function both on sea and land and um, aviation uh, it comes from, from the word avia, uh, avery and, uh, and so the names of birds were used during World War II as code names also. The hummingbird represented a fighter plane the chicken hawk represented a um, a fighter uh, 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 place, and an owl represented an uh, an observation plane. The bird carrier, an aircraft carrier. Eggs represented bombs. There were two hundred and eleven code vocabulary bird names. Even when they got into secrecy. And they were starting to use the jet aircraft engines after World War II. It was also named after birds. And when they got into other kinds of things, they still used in many ways birds. Now get with me, go with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1. And here we really begin the opening up of our teaching. Other other languages, other, other languages, other bodies, people not of this world. And let's just look first now in Ezekiel. And let's just let's get an eye opener here. Because you see, what this is all part about is believing the Bible. Can you really believe that an angel appeared as a man and then he walked over to the to this altar and then went up in the flame? Or do you think that was just an imagination? See, if you can't believe those kind of things, then it'd be very difficult for you to believe this revelation that I'm trying to teach you about the Ziths. Now let's look at, at this. Chapter 1, verse 4. A whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was, around, was about it, 
and out of the midst thereof the color of amber, and out of the midst of the fire. And out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. When we talk about the likeness of four living creatures, we're talking about like the appearance of four living creatures. That does not mean that those creatures that it's talking about really look like a lion, really look like an eagle, but that they were putting on an appearance to depict a message, a pattern message, a symbolic revelation. Just like when Gabriel took on the man body, but that he was not an actual man. He was the archangel, Gabriel. And there will be some people say, well, you can't prove that he was an archangel. Oh, yes, you can. You just don't know the scripture that you have to use to show that. We can prove that the Bible says that, that Michael was an archangel. And we can prove that the Bible says in Daniel that there was no other person, no other entity that worked with, with Gabriel other than Michael. And that's because there were only the two groups of, of, of archangels, one of the seraphim, which was Michael, one of the cherubim, which was Gabriel, which were working together for this particular uh, uh, offense against the forces of darkness. Because the other group had been put down. And Jesus at that time was not involved, just like when he was on earth, and he says, you know, if, if, if it were the time for me to fight, if it were what I was supposed to do for the kingdom, then he says, my people would war, they would fight. But he says, you know, this earth is not my kingdom. Didn't mean that he wouldn't be taking it over sometime, but he was telling something very important. So when Gabriel was done fighting with the, the prince of Persia in the book of Daniel, and when Michael came to help because he was using so many of his co-owned archangels to fight against Gabriel, and, and Michael came to help because neither one of them at that time were willing to loosen their archangels that were co-owned within them. So the two of them were able to then defeat and, and, and uh, able to block and turn back that force of, of, of Persia, that spirit of Persia. And then Gabriel after that says, now I'm leaving to go, to go and continue fighting against these forces. That's not something that just a regular angel does. That's something in that terms, plus the other scripture I mentioned, has to do with him being an archangel. And when you look also at terms like a prince, that comes from the word principality, and principality also represents archangel. Okay, that's all I got for that right now. Got to get going. Now, we're in Ezekiel. So now we've got these different appearances, and we understand that they're just appearances. And then it says, in verse 8, they had the hands of a man under their wings. Now we got the co-mingle of a bird and the co-mingle of a human. We got wings, and underneath the wings, we got hands of a human. We had in the book of, of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar going back, reverting to a bird man. He grew feathers and bird claws. 
Now, let's go on. Let's look at um, verse 13. As for the likeness of the living creature, their appearance was like the burning coals of fire. Now, what was it? <laughs> They're looking like these four be beast kind of creatures? Were they looking like all these other descriptions? Descriptions, rather? Or were they looking like coals of fire? Well, I told you when it mentioned that scripture about hail and coals that it doesn't necessarily mean hail and coals as, as you might be thinking hail and coals mean in a regular language. But here we have coals of fire, which is all part of the appearance. And then it says, and the appearance of lamps. And it went up and down among the living creature, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightnings. And the appearance of the wheels and their work was like the color of burl, and the four had one likeness, their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. We're getting into something here. We're getting into something. Verse 20, wheresoever the spirit was to go, they went. Now this is what you've got to get it. You've got to get it. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to get it. We're talking about the Seth. Wheresoever the Zith was to go, that's where the people in it were taken. This is flying the cherub. This is the scripture that I read to you earlier about flying the cherub. This infusion of this cherub actually being infused at the spirit, the spirit being infused into the the vehicle, the, the spacecraft, and that it being in part one thing and in part something else intermingled and, fingled and, and, and in interfused together. So that the flying saucers, they call them, and the UFOs are actually living, living photo translations. They're living. And that's why over 40 years ago when I received this scripture in the Holy Manifest of this ancient man with a white beard and white hair and he was chosen to be the pilot or the engine for the, this great ship because it says that you didn't have any dials or knobs or anything like that to turn. Nothing to turn because it was all done by the mind. As the pilot or the engine communicates to the mind of the flying ship itself, the flying ship has intelligence. It can understand that. Not only can it understand what the communication is of the pilots, but it can also understand any action that is happening outside the ship, like missiles being fired against it, other enemy ships trying to, to uh, put it in the, in the um, crosshairs to destroy, dematerialize. It already knows all that. And so that the pilot can know it, the pilot has to have the mind that it can, it can interconnect and intercommunicate with the ship itself. And that's the wonder of it all. That's the incredibility of it all. And that's why it says here in chapter 1, and I read this to you and it's so important. So important. 
that where the Spirit went, that's where everyone else went. And that, brothers and sisters, verse 20, whithersoever, wheresoever, what does that mean? Does that have a limit on it? Did that just mean just up or just down or to the left or to the right? No, whether wheresoever it is. Wheresoever it is, verse 20 of chapter 1 of Ezekiel, the spirit was to go, they went. Thither was the spirit to go, and the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. The spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. And so you've got to get this. The spirit is part of the ship. It's part of the ship, and the ship is part of the spirit. So there's a part of the, of the ship that is spirit, and there's a part of the ship that has material, special kinds of material, and they're infused. So this ship is a living ship, and it's like that there could ever be anything that is physical that could represent the Holy Spirit, but yet there is this dove that is used to represent the Holy Spirit and to designate who Jesus Christ really is. And you have that same thing in this picture here. It's in it. For the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Part of the wheels. And we see in verse 18, for their rings, and they were so high, they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes. I read to you the scripture about the, the, the eyes of the Lord went to and fro, which is the language of, the, of these crafts, to and fro through the whole earth, the whole world, earth. Wow. Verse 26, and above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, the appearance of a sapphire. That ties into to Exodus 24, the sapphire stone. It's all part of this throne, which is the language that's describing the zith. Wow. Now we're going to turn to chapter 10. Just a few scriptures to read here, but it's there. It's so important. We've got to finish this. Then I looked, and behold, chapter, chapter 10, verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim, there appeared over them, as it were, a sapphire stone. Now, they use here cherubims. Now, this, this guy that translates, these 70 people that translate this, they weren't stupid. They knew that the word cherubim was plural. It didn't need an S to be plural. But yet they put an S on this and made the plural plural. And that's because there was something indicative in the translation that was just very complicated to understand. There seemed to be two parts to it. There seemed to be one part that was cherubim and another part that was cherubim. Here you have the part of the cherubim that's the ship. You have the part of the cherubim that are the entities. And there appeared over them, as it were, the sapphire stone in the likeness of a throne. So that, that revelation of Exodus 24 that Moses and the elders saw, they were seeing what described today as a UFO, but they were seeing what's called the Merkabah, 
Wow. And he spake with the man clothed, verse 2, in linen, and said, Go in between the wheels. When you get in between the wheels, you are getting into the ship, the fiber of the ship. And it says, even under the cherub, <laughs> and fell by hands with coals of fire from between the cherubim, between the cherubim, the two different kinds. This is incredibly awesome. Got just a few more scriptures here. Verse 5, the sound of the cherubim wings was heard even to the outer court. Now there's a lot of people out there that are not in the inner court. They're not in the Holy of Holies, but they're hearing some of these things. They're seeing some of these UFOs and flying saucers, and they don't know what they are, but they know there's something awesome. But now you're hearing the awesome what they are. Wow. Verse um, 10, as for their appearance, they forehead the likeness as if a wheel had been in the midst of a wheel. Wow. Verse 11, and when they went, they went upon their four sides. They turned not as they went with a plate, but to the place whether the head looked, they followed it. And they turned not as they went, where the head looked. And we see in the other scripture, chapter 1, that wherever the spirit went, wheresoever it went, that's where everyone went. That, therefore, is translated here to be called the head. That this, this head is the living aspect, which is this, which is this brain, this mind, I should call it, that, it, that has the, the multiple eyes. It sees on manifold levels. It sees in every direction. It has all knowledge, all wisdom. We're just about to get, get here. All right. Verse uh, 15. And the cherubims were lifted up. This is the living creature that I saw by the river Chabar. And when the cherubims went, the wheels went by them. And when the cherubim lifted up their wings, uh, up their wings to mount up from the earth, the same wheels also turned not from beside them. See this oneness. Wow. Wow. Okay. You have here the proof. And I'm not, don't have time. I've run out of time. Don't have time to read the rest of what I've got. I've got a lot. But we'll finish it next week. Plus, we're going to be introducing next week a subject called Distance from Zero. And it it is just going to be absolutely interesting. Now, I have a brother that's been asking me to reveal the difference between ziths and zams and, and zoots and, and, and uh, ziths. And I want to just tell this brother, my dear brother Miriam, that um, I'm going to be giving that information, Lord Welling, next week in this number 21, part 21 of The Whisper of Satan. God bless you, dear people. We love you. We do love you. Stand by us in prayer. These things are, are unheard of, but they're Bible. They're the Word of God. And God is setting free a great and wonderful role of revelation that's going to go across this whole planet Earth. Janet Lee at the organ. <laughs>